Locksmith Talk with Aloha is supported by Security Pro Supply. What is Security Pro Supply? Well, it's the new parent brand for HL Flake International Key Supply, HE Mitchell, and McDonald Dash Companies. While these great company names will continue to live on, associating them together under the Security Pro Supply parent brand allows them to communicate a unified mission, which is to help you, the security professional, be successful. We'd also like to thank HL Flake and Security Pro Supply for partnering with Aloha to promote ongoing virtual education via webinars. It's certainly been an eventful year, but thanks to HL Flake, Security Pro Supply, and Aloha, educational opportunities have remained available for security professionals around the world. For more information about these webinars, please visit aloha.org. Speaking of websites, visit Security Pro Supply's website, securityprosupply.com. There you will find links to the exciting company's e-commerce sites. You can also take a moment to explore their growing library of educational resources, including the listing of all webinars being offered through Aloha. Once again, that is securityprosupply.com. Welcome to Locksmith Talk with Aloha. I'm your podcast host, William Link. Today's episode is Standalone Access Control with our guest, Greg Perry, who covers the ins and outs of standalone access control options for locksmiths. Greg Perry is a certified master locksmith who passed the exams to reach this level in just four sittings. He is a certified professional safe tech, and a certified master electronic locksmith. He's also a GSA certified safe and vault technician and GSA certified inspector. Greg is a four-time author of the year award winner for Keynotes, the official publication of Aloha. He has written articles for safe and vault technicians, Boxman, and other publications. Greg began uh, instructing for local association meetings, progressing to full-day classes, and achieved his ACE instructor certification, and is the 2010 Aloha Ray Diadamo ACE Instructor Award winner. Greg continues to perform commercial work and give back to this great industry by instructing, writing articles for Aloha Keynotes, and sharing his knowledge on several internet forums within the industry. So how are you today, Greg? Doing great. Excellent. Well, we have a lot to talk about here, but before we get into the meat and potatoes of standalone access control, we need to cover something that may cause trepidation with some licensing. Woohoo! Can you tell us about licensing and why it is a factor when performing access control work? Absolutely. Access control work involves a number of different trades or fields from locksmithing to electronics and even some door work in some cases. Depending on where you're at, it may require licensing, it may require 
a specialty license in that sense to do the job. According to ALOA, 44 states require low voltage licenses and 37 require CEUs to maintain them. LOA classes are a great resource for those CEUs. Mm -hmm. So licensing varies by the state and in some cases, even the city in terms of what is required. An example, California requires a locksmith license or an alarm license. And if you wanna do work over 500 bucks, it requires a contractor's license. The uh, city of Las Vegas, on the other hand, requires a contract electrical contractor's license just to run wire. We ran into that many years ago when we tried to do a class in Las Vegas and we couldn't run wires. It was gonna be a freebie to a nonprofit that we were gonna put in some access control as part mm -hmm. of the class. And we couldn't run the wires, so we had to do it in wireless. Mm. while back and i don't know how long ago but i remember texas even had a law passed that to change a battery on a safe lock you had to have an alarm license so i know it's a touchy subject mm. but the problem is if we don't bother to to challenge it or to get in front of it things like what happened in texas can happen to, in any state where an organization or group, union perhaps, limits our abilities to be able to do work that is truly locksmith work rather than an electrician's job. Mm -hmm. So if, if a locksmith works city to city, would it be necessary for them to go to that city hall and find out what type of licensing is required? Yes, in some cases. Mm. Usually it's the bigger cities that have different or more restrictive rules. The example being Las Vegas, it's a big union town that they have been able to write into their codes, the restrictions that limit us. And it may not even be that we think of a license requirement, uh, but if we're doing a job running wire, which, okay, that's access control, but if you're running a wire, you have to have the electrical contractor's license ah. to, to work in a commercial environment. Now, I don't know about residential exactly. And that's one of the challenges of doing this kind of work is that you need to know who or what licensing you need. And the easiest place to go to that is, as you put it, City Hall or the local AHJ. I tend to have a pretty good relationship with our fire marshal. And keep that channel open so if something changes i know what it is another place to find that stuff out is with the local associations or aloa chapters are often a good resource or perhaps somebody else in your state sometimes a competitor down the street might not want to talk to you but the guy who's 200 miles away from you is more than happy to discuss what needs to be done or what kind of licensing you might require or even what codes you have to follow because the codes are always, they're not all different, but places like New York, Miami-Dade County has hurricane force wind uh, codes that are required to be followed. City of Los Angeles, they write their own codes. So smaller jurisdictions, they might adopt NFPA, National Fire Protection Association codes, where larger jurisdictions, 
they may just want to write their own code. And oftentimes they will conflict a little bit with what lo- with what the, what we think of as a national code uh, mm-hmm. might say. Example are mag locks in the city of Huntington Beach. They have banned the use of magnetic locks on any door. They had some firefighters trapped and it was installed improperly. So that mm-hmm. became a, a code that you can't put them on in that city. Well, if you're coming from another jurisdiction, you wouldn't necessarily know that. Good point. Well, Greg, there's certainly a, a lot of crossover between commercial locksmithing and access control. Like, for example, both utilize many of the same locks and door hardware. So what types of locks and door hardware would a locksmith expect to use with an access control system? Almost all commercial hardware has an electronic counterpart. Typical commercial lock sets, pretty much everybody's today, every manufacturer or a retrofit kit is available for everybody's grade one lock sets, commercial uh, exit devices, mag locks, as I mentioned earlier, they have applications for those. Even deadbolts, electric strikes are often used. I've even seen electronic or electrification of cabinet locks and key lockers. Okay. Pretty much almost anything that is made, if there's a need for it, there's a manufacturer willing to fill that need. So choosing the hardware or choosing the appropriate locking device is really something that, that comes with experience in terms of what's the best application. In some cases, it might be a mortise lock. In other cases, examples, I've put them on, I put mag locks on gates. They're outdoors. Mm-hmm. Out here in the desert where I'm at, we get a lot of blowing sand. And it's amazing how much dust and sand fills up in a lock set. Right. So I per- prefer to use a magnetic lock in that application. In some cases, like I've had, I've put them on sliding gates, vehicle gates where you could slide the gate open because the brake system was a little weak. So we added a mag lock onto it. Had to create a spring-loaded piece. All those things are things you can, all the different kinds of locks are Mm -hmm. application specific. In other cases, an electric strike or an unlatcher, which is one of the newer uh, models, not models, but styles of lock sets, you might say. And it came about because we're not allowed to cut fire-rated door frames. So if you can put an unlatcher, which basically releases the dead latch and then pushes the latch back out in an existing door frame, you haven't violated the fire code. I've actually worked on turnstiles. You know, I, I like to call them people shredders. The typical gates that you might see at amusement parks to let people out well we can electrify those to allow people to go in with their cat with a card access oh that's cool and those are 120 volts well if you're going to work in that world by the way you have to have an electrical license electrical contractor's license probably again it depends on that jurisdictional thing uh, i do a lot of work on a federal property and it doesn't require that although my old shop, I don't currently have one, but my old shop, we had an electrical contractor's license. So we were able to work on that stuff. Even though I don't consider myself an electrician, I am very electrically savvy in that sense. 
Uh, and some of that just depends on your skill sets and, and desires or willingness to learn. Or maybe it helps to partner with an electrician or alarm company that gives you that extra in and you take care of the lock set piece and they take care of the wiring piece if you're not comfortable with that. Now, Greg, a lot has changed in the last five years in access control in terms of the technologies involved. Some manufacturers now offer Wi-Fi connected products. Some offer apps to control their products. It's not like the older days where everything was hardwired. What can you tell us about connectivity options that are available? So I'm, a, I'm an old guy. I still believe that hardwired <laughs> systems are the best. It, 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 it's more stable. I don't have the connectivity issues that you might have. As I mentioned earlier, we, we did a class in the early 2000s uh, with, in Las Vegas, and the, the WAPs or wireless access points would not connect. And that was with the factory tech guy there. Oh, Things glitch. Yeah. And so I'm not as big a fan of wireless stuff, but I also realize it is the wave of the future. Mm -hmm. You know, how many people have a corded house phone today? We pretty much have all switched over to wireless cell phones. And, and that seems True. to be getting better and better and better. But I still prefer the hardwired stuff when I have the cho choice. Sure, sure. It just yeah. seems to be. And your choices of lock sets are then greatly expanded when you go to hardwired systems. They tend to, you can pretty much find a lock set that just requires an on-off switch. I mean, Technically, mm -hmm. you could use the on-off switch on, like you use for your wall to turn the lights on and off in your house. Right. It's just the access control panel is a fancy way of doing an on-off switch. But that being said, so much has changed, as I mentioned, and you said, we now have Wi-Fi wi available to us, near field communications. Think of Apple Pay or Google Pay with your phone where you just wave it close by, you, you know, you have the app on your phone. Sure. Bluetooth. I've recently seen an electric strike that was a self-contained electric strike with Bluetooth capability. And so you released it with your phone. All you had to do was hook up a pair of wires and everything was done through an app on your phone. That's really easy and, and very quick to install. It kind of reminds me of the old days of alarms where we went from hardwired to wireless and the, and the pricing just went way down because the cost of installation goes way down. If you're not having to run wires, ah, 10 minutes at the door for a lot of us, and you can have the lock installed. If you're charging a couple hundred bucks for that, that makes you a lot of money. Sure. So those kinds of things are coming in. What I found interesting is that 900 megahertz, which used to be used for cordless phones, garage door openers, that frequency got very cluttered about 15 years ago to the point that they opened up other frequencies. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> now it's opening back up because all those devices that we used to have, cordless phones is a perfect example. They've gone away. We've gone to, to cell phones, which operated a different frequency. And so we're coming back around to where we're using 900 megahertz for our wireless frequency. It's not Wi-Fi. It's not Bluetooth. 
it's radio frequency, the same as our old cordless phones, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things of what goes around at one time changes. And so we end up with different ways to communicate. A lot of manufacturers do brand specific communications. They want their own wireless access point that makes it into the, the internet ultimately, but it limits outside interference let me ask you this, Greg. You had mentioned Bluetooth operating, uh, say, a cell phone operating a deadbolt in a house. What what would be your concerns there as far as the security there? I mean, it's it's one thing to uh, pick open a mechanical lock, but how easy would it be to hack into a frequency uh, on a Bluetooth and open someone's uh, door by your cell phone? I'm not I'm not a wireless security expert, but I know that things are getting hacked all the time. Mm -hmm. There was a product out not long ago, came out of the Eastern Bloc nations of Europe that could read your credit cards. And it was a little handheld device, looked a lot like a, like a large cell phone. Mm -hmm. And they could just walk by you and it would pick up your, your credit cards from your phone or from their, to their device and they could yeah. clone it. And Bluetooth, I have a feeling, is the same kind of a thing. Yeah. It may or may not be commonly available, but you're right. And I always worry about that kind of stuff in terms of, again, it's back to why I like hardware. Can't yeah. hack the hardware system with a, with a frequency. Right. People that, steal that was cars. My point. Exactly. Right. Yeah. People steal cars by picking up the radio frequencies of people using their remotes for the car. So if it's wireless, it's out there. Yeah. And in order to make it more secure, they encrypt it. But people have encryption breakers or block. Mm -hmm. So they have ways to do that. Yes, it's more money for the thief. But you're right. How, what's it take to, to break into that? Not much. Yeah. I guess that's when you get so much convenience, but then does the security level drop? when that kind of convenience is just there? Uh, just sort of a rhetorical question. Well, anyways, Greg, uh, can you give us sort of a 10,000-foot view of standalone access control? What is it, and what solutions or systems are out there for locksmiths? So standalone access control can be as simple as a doorknob or a deadbolt. I always ask in my classes, one of the first questions I ask in my electronic access control classes, how many of your access control specialists? And I get, you know, two or three hands raised, but I look at the cost and go, all of you are. <laughs> we all provide access control. It happens we're using a key for that access control. And so what do we add to it? When we talk about electronic or access control, we tend to think of card access or push button access. And so things like the old simplex Unican five button mechanical lock set is still an access control device. Okay. And that's code locks and other brands fit into that category. They're very basic. They only have one code, but they provide access and you'll see them on places like campground bathrooms. That may be more than adequate for their needs. It provides a degree of access control. The next step up from that, I think of, are the electronic versions of those kinds of locks. Trilogies is an example of, of one. Schlag, 
CO locks or Mark's IQs, they all offer a degree of access control. And depending on the model or the brand, you can add 32 users, you can add a thousand users. It really depends on the system or the manufacturer, but they tend to be more limited in use to where it's a, I don't care who goes in and out. I don't care how often they come in. I don't care about the time that they come in. I just need a code in there. Again, bathrooms, or in some cases, you might think about high dollar storage rooms. If you go to a Costco, as an example, you don't buy the computer off the shelf. You take the tag to the register. And then afterwards, you have to go to their secure room and give them that tag in your receipt. And that's what they give you. Then they go get the computer or a camera or whatever the high dollar item is. It's easily pilfered. So those kinds of access control may or may not, they give you a degree. And the nice part about it is you're not having to pass a key out. And I, let's face it, we're all in the locksmith world. Mm-hmm. We love keys, but they have limitations. If I need to change the key quickly, I can change a code very quickly on all these systems, but I can't change the key quickly unless you're a locksmith and then that's easy. So the next step up from that, and those are all typically battery uh, operated. They may have a, a power source that, that's available to them as a uh, battery, not a battery backup, but, a, but as a power source instead of the batteries, But the problem with that is you're now getting back into kind of hardwired access control. If you got to core the door for the, in other words, drill through the edge of the door from the hinge or run a power cord across the face of the door, which looks ugly and nobody should do that, but there are applications. So the next step up from that are the, what I think of as self-contained on the door access control systems. And what those are is they may be Wi-Fi enabled, they may be Bluetooth, they may be uh, wireless access point. Some of them may even require you to go to the door with a handheld device or a USB stick to program, add and delete codes, pull history, etc. Some of them may use a Dallas chip type key which is a little coin cell to pull that stuff out. But it, mm-hmm. depending on the, on the manufacturer and the security level, because let's face it, as you put it earlier with the wireless stuff, it can all be hacked. So maybe having, a, having to go to that lock and actually do something with it might be a more secure application for it. And then to me, the next step up from that is completely wireless or hardwired in systems that are global in communication. They're connected to the internet. In some cases, they may only be connected to the intranet, which means within the building or within a group of buildings. Think of as an example, a college campus. They, They might have an intranet, which is just a small version of the internet, but it's only to that campus and it doesn't leave those the confines of that, uh, that's where you start getting into some bigger money and some bigger issues and, and problems. Not necessarily problems, but more complications in terms of what you're doing. Now, you mentioned um, 
a number of systems. Can you tell us a few of the benefits of these various systems that you just mentioned? So the, the, the biggest benefit of doing standalone on the door type access control, whether it be a wired, wired, not a wired, a wireless version of a system that is in the internet is the ease of installation. It's probably the easiest to install, the quickest to install. But as we mentioned earlier, it may have some issues with the connectivity. So it doesn't require any special wiring skills or core drilling. Those are all big advantages. Mm-hmm. Hardware offers the advantage of no batteries at the door. It doesn't mean you still don't have batteries to replace. You might have a large alarm type battery or looks a little like a motorcycle size battery that needs to be replaced, but that's typically in every two to three year. And you can schedule that. A lot of companies will actually set up maintenance contracts to add to their bottom line as an example. And so they're able to go in on their schedule and replace those batteries. But if it's just simply a nine volt battery or, you know, three or four D uh, triple A batteries or double A batteries, mm-hmm. most customers can do that on their own or have no issues with doing it on their own. So you do cut yourself out of a little bit of money, not a lot necessarily, but it's still, mm-hmm. and it gives you a chance to go into their door and look at other things that may come up. Right. Another option, and I, I meant to mention it earlier, is a cloud-based system. So cloud-based systems are the latest. And I haven't installed any of these yet. I've seen them a number of places. Mm-hmm. The advantage to cloud-based means it's all on the internet. And you don't have to do anything. You can actually manage it from your office location. You can manage a number of customers' access control systems over the internet. Cloud is basically a, a fancy word for the internet. Yeah. And it allows you to, in some cases, charge a monthly service for that cloud-based access control. Brevo is one of the ones I've seen at our conventions, although Salto, AirAxis, or a few other names that come to, come to mind. Mm-hmm. And one of those uses a cell-based connection. But those rely or, or require some type of internet or cell communications available to you. That's one of the downsides. I work on places that are on tops of mountains and I may or may not have a cell signal available to me or an internet connection. They're mm-hmm. radio frequency type towers. So that's kind of the downside to those. And if you lose connection, now what do you do? You've right. got a system that you told the customer, hey, I can take care of it from my office. And you've got now a service call six hours driving away in one of my cases to get mm-hmm. to that location to be able to reset the router or reset the modem. Yeah. Uh, so, but the cloud-based is really nice and it kind of patterns itself off the alarm world where if you're charging $20 a month, you get 20 bucks a month, whether you do anything or not. Yeah. And that reoccurring monthly revenue, if you get enough of them is actually pretty significant over time. So that's one of the big benefits to that. Hardware on the other hand, offers the advantage of it's very stable. It allows you the flexibility to choose the kind of locks that you want. It typically is, well, pretty much all hardware is connected to the AC power 
So as long as we have uh, city power, it provides locking systems and continues to operate. But those are all things, that, you know, differences of, of what the benefits are. I highly recommend if you are going to get heavy into access control that you do set up some kind of a service contract with the customer. It's an easy way to make some good money um, without much effort. However, you almost need a large customer base in order to spread out the risk, kind of like insurance. You may lose money on one, but if you get if you charge twenty bucks a piece or a month, as an example, to five hundred customers, that's some pretty good money coming in. And if one of them has a problem and you got to spend a thousand bucks to fix it, hey, I made nine thousand more. Right. Now that's great, but if you only have one or two customers and you got to spend a thousand dollars, oh wait a minute, now what? Now what happens to those numbers? You got forty and had to spend a grand. Takes a long time to recoup that. Sure. Well, it's so good those to, are it's, those. Are, it's good to know the pros and the cons of of each of these systems as you're bringing up. Good points. We want to take a moment to thank Security Pro Supply again for supporting Locksmith Talk with Aloha. Security Pro Supply is the new parent brand for HL Flake, International Key Supply, HE Mitchell, and McDonald Dash companies. These great companies have been in business for many years and continue to support the industry that they serve. While the existing company names will continue to live on, associating them together under the Security Pro Supply parent brand allows them to communicate a unified mission, which is to help you, the security professional, be successful. One of the main ways they live up to this mission is by offering an incredibly broad selection. One call to any of the Security Pro Supply companies gives you access to over 45,000 items that are in stock and ready to ship to you. This selection covers both mechanical and electronic hardware, as well as a huge selection of OEM and aftermarket automotive keys and remotes. Even better, Security Pro Supply companies have a wide footprint with five convenient locations across the U.S. Houston, Texas, New York, New York, Memphis, Tennessee, Jacksonville, Florida, and Portland, Oregon. Security Pro Supply, one of the supplier that is truly offering a full line of security products to the security professional. Visit them at securityprosupply.com. There you will find links to the existing company's e-commerce sites. You can also take a moment to explore their growing library of educational resources, including the listing of all webinars being offered through Aloha. Once again, that is securityprosupply.com. Now, one of the things I know our listeners are, are thinking right now, cost. Tell us a bit about cost. What is a standalone solution typically going to cost? What's going to cause differences in pricing? So obviously the biggest difference is going to be where, you're, where you live, you might say. The smaller towns, the ones with a lower cost of living, you may not have to charge as much as the bigger cities. You go to San Francisco and it's $122,000 a year is poverty level. Mm-hmm. That, that probably is the 
biggest cost difference I think of in terms of from a nationwide or global kind of a look. Mm-hmm. But the products are dependent upon just like lock sets. You can buy a residential lock set for $10 or you can buy a commercial mortise lock that costs you $500. It depends on what you want to sell and how you want to present yourself. And in some cases, it's really customer dependent upon what are they, what's their motivation to purchase. And that dictates sometimes what choice of product we might use. I guess, you, so in other first, words, what their needs are. Correct. If we're talking a security room door in a small store, their needs to have that door open and closed 10 times a day is completely different than Costco that might need their door opened a thousand times a day. And so the cycle piece becomes a question for you. That's number one in terms of what do you do? Another thing that has to be factored into your cost is the amount of time it takes you to learn about that product. In some cases you can read the instruction sheet and be done with it in 20 minutes and know everything about that product. In other cases, You have to spend two weeks in school to be able to learn enough about that product. And even then, you're still a little limited as to how much you really know. But the basic lock sets, and I'm I'm referring to this at our cost, because obviously, as I say, what you choose to charge for it is up to you. And sometimes, I know in the past, we didn't have to worry about it so much, but there's so much competition out there that... I look for products that are a little bit unique to the industry so that somebody can't price shop me in some cases. Oh, good point. You know, if, if it, as I like to say, anybody can go to Walmart and buy a cheap doorknob and they don't have a clue what the differences between that doorknob and the one you have on, you know, a Schlag ND series or a, a grade one type lock or a mortise lock. Mm-hmm. They just see lock set, deadbolt, etc. So, I try and not use products that are extremely common and stick with ones that brands that support the locksmith first and not the consumer market, whether it be uh, a Wi-Fi enabled or Bluetooth enabled deadbolt on a, on a front door, as an example. Uh, oftentimes the customer can look online and find a price lower than what we typically pay for it through distribution. But the basic code lock and some of the mechanical or electronic push buttons started around $150 to $200 our cost. I wouldn't use them for high high use applications. Uh, Most of those I'm probably up in the $350 to $500 range is where I start if I'm going to have a decent commercial user. I recently had a customer have me change out on their front door of their business from another locksmith who had put in Schlag residential grade stuff. And they kept failing. Well, it's kind of obvious why mm-hmm. the lock was not designed for that application. I put on some grade two locks and the owner was like, wow, these are great. I love these things. These feel so much beefier. They're so much better. And they're going to hold up a long time. It's an automotive repair shop. So they understand the value of spending a few extra dollars and getting a much better quality product. I charged probably four times, five times as much as the other guy. But two things happened. One, in the same amount of time, I made more cash in my pocket. Because we both take the same amount of time to install them. Mm-hmm. So 
I'm now making more money in the product, more dollars, and the customer's actually more happy. In most cases, they'll be happier with the better quality product, in my opinion. Sure. Uh, other products out there, Seco Alarm makes a little Bluetooth access control keypad. It's about 300 bucks our cost. It requires a power supply. So if you're going to put something like that in, don't forget to factor in the cost of the peripheral stuff. Not only do you have the power supply, but you also have the lock. So right. again, if you go back to a alarm lock networks or one of the others that's on the door that might run us five, $600 up to a grand, maybe if you put a $300 keypad on, have to buy a $500 lock set, have to buy a power supply that should be a couple hundred bucks. Well, all of a sudden you're the same amount of money. It, it, it's not necessarily that you save money. It's just how, which, where do you want to spend your money? I guess is one way to put it. Mm -hmm. um, I've also seen companies that do a very basic one door panel, about 600 bucks our cost that includes the power supply. Uh, it, all those things are, and I, I'm a firm believer in going to conventions, going to the shows. I know right now with the pandemic, we're a little bit limited, mm -hmm. but the chance to be able to look and see and talk to the engineers and have a good opportunity to see what's available is priceless to me in terms of being able to select a product that I didn't know about or see something different. And, like, and then also don't forget the cost of training the customer. In some cases, it's pretty simple, but in other cases, you're going to spend a day just teaching the customer how to operate their access control system, how to add and delete users. Uh, and also, don't forget that you may have to do the support after it's all done. After you've collected the money, they're going to call you in a month and say, how do I do this? Right. Oh, yeah. Well, if, if you spend an hour on the phone with them, do you write them a bill for that hour? Well, I guess that's another good reason for a service contract. There you go. That's exactly right. As you as you look at this stuff, factor in the after the sale cost. Everybody knows customers, not every customer is tech savvy and gets it. I've had customers teach me stuff that I didn't know. Mm -hmm. As they look through the manual and went, oh, check this out. Oh, I didn't know that. And I've had other customers who I literally wanted to rip the system out and put back on a key lock because they were not technical enough or knowledgeable enough or had the skill set to learn how to make that system operate, which is a pretty simple system. Sure. So those are things to, to factor into your cost. I, I think you summed that up fairly well. Uh, but now for the, uh, the locksmith out there who's newer getting into this field, what considerations should that locksmith be aware of when selecting and installing a standalone access control system? You, you know this because you've been doing it for years and years, but what about the new guy? What are these considerations? So the first thing I think of is look at programming sheets. Before you buy anything, look at what it takes to make it operate. And does it make sense to you? Not everybody thinks the same way. And so I'm a big believer, you should understand that manual and it should make sense to you before you buy a product. Nowadays with the internet, man, it's easy to, to pull up a tech sheet programming manual and say, oh, this makes sense. Or, 
what the heck do they mean here? Yeah. And if you can't understand it, how do you expect you to explain it to your customer? So it should be a good match. I, I always think of this as kind of like a marriage. You know, it, it's, it's not that a product is bad or good. It's just compatibility. So first and foremost, find stuff that's compatible with how you think, what you like, what you feel is the, is the appropriate pieces. And then when it comes to buying it or selling it to the customer, what's the first consideration? I don't know. Maybe how many users? How many, mm -hmm. do they need time zones? Do they need multiple user groups? Uh, is the customer tech savvy enough? Or are you going to spend more time with them with the project? Everyone has a budget, but is theirs realistic? I had a customer the other day that, you know, thought I could change out to an electronic safe lock for a hundred dollars. It wasn't realistic in their expectation. So you have to get with them to begin with and sort of pre-qualify or, to me, that's a, a pre-qualify, pre-quantify what mm -hmm. they're expecting out of the system. What right. credentials yeah. best for them? You know, perhaps a, a pin is the, is all they need, or they want prox cards or some other format. That's so. What credential might be best for them? What's the door made out of? It is an aluminum storefront door, or is it a hollow metal? Can I even modify their door if it's a fire rated opening? I may not be able to put the lock sets that I'm comfortable using on that door. Hmm. Are there code requirements to be worried about? Do I have to use a panic bar as an example? That may dictate into the pricing of uh, pricing it out of what the customer thinks is reasonable in a sense, or it may be perfectly fine with them. Exactly. Uh, something I hate to kind of bring up, but I look for in systems that are exclusive to locksmiths. I mentioned it earlier. If, if you're buying something that is very common and easily traded on internet sites, customers may feel or perceive that your value or your product that you pay, let's say you pay $500 for it and you want to charge a thousand. Well, if they can buy it for 500, they feel ripped off. Mm -hmm. So to me, I always look for, like I said earlier, I look for products that are um, a little bit unique to the industry or a little bit less common in a sense. I want good quality, but I'm still looking for the up and coming companies that want to work with locksmiths. Mm -hmm. And then I always try and sell myself first. You can only buy me from one place, my service, my labor, my skill set, And the product that I choose is up to me in that, in that world. Uh, you know, and it should be, you're the expert. And if you're selling yourself as the expert, you know how to match that product to the end user and their situation appropriately. Correct. That's why I say, I always sell me first. I can't tell you how many customers said, I want you, mm -hmm. not even my company. I want you to do this job. Right. That's the most important thing because then the rest of it is they're already sold on you selling it to them and they're not looking at it elsewhere. Right. They it, want you, they're not going to find you anywhere else. It's kind of interesting, Greg. I, I get this question often in classes when I teach interchangeable cores, they'll say, which are the best interchangeable core products out there and which are the worst? And my response is pretty much this. 
all products out there have a purpose under the sun. You just need to know what it is you need and how you're going to use that product. Is it going to be a construction core that only is used temporarily? Or is it something that's going to have high-end use oftentimes? You have to know what the situation is. There's really no good and bad products. It's all how they're intended to be used. And I assume in standalone access, it's pretty much the same way. It is. It is. I wouldn't put a full-blown access control to system with multiple levels just like master king there are multiple levels of access and time zones and you know ten thousand dollars on a door if i was putting it on a bathroom at a campground exactly would be appropriate right on right. the other hand a college campus that might have a hundred or ten thousand users i can't put a low-end keypad system that's perfectly adequate for the bathroom in that application i can't I, you know if i've got a four four pin number code and i want ten thousand users mm -hmm. well anybody can walk up and open the door any combination of four digits is good right so that's where i say yeah you're right you have to match it to the application right now, Greg, generally speaking, what can you tell us about the pros and cons of credential formats? You brought that up earlier. Are some better than others, and how should they be used? So just like in picking any security level or quality, I'll start off with the least expensive, which is a PIN number. And a PIN number is perfectly adequate in some applications, but the problem with a PIN is that it can be shared. Right. and never gotten back. If I tell you my PIN number is 1234, um, I can't get that back from you. I mean, you can tell me what it is, but I can't take it out of your memory. So it, it's, in a sense, it's best to mate that with a card, by the way, if you're going to do that. But let's talk about the next step up. And the next step up might be barcode. And barcode's perfectly adequate for an example, Disneyland FastPass. Cheap and easy to produce doesn't have a whole lot of high security application to it, but it can be photocopied. So it's, it's horrible as a technology in terms of security, but it's great if you need mass production, mm -hmm. a whole bunch of codes. Next up might be a mag stripe, and a mag stripe is the same as a cassette tape. It's easy to copy that, but you actually have to physically have the card with you. Those are kind of gone away as a security application but let's face it we still use the mag stripe on the back of our credit cards mm -hmm. the next step up might be proximity and there's multiple formats from what can be easily copied to iclass or encrypted type systems and that's probably the standard today i would think in terms of what's out there smart cards are available they have that little uh, gold chip on the bottom of the key that's inserted those are a little bit higher security, but again, they're easy to copy if you've got the right equipment. I'm gonna tell you the next, probably most up and coming in my opinion is gonna be Bluetooth, near field communications. And the reason being is everybody, almost everybody today has a smartphone. So by putting it as an app on somebody's smartphone, you didn't have to pay for a credential. It's quick and easy. I know colleges are starting to go to this because students, as a general rule, guard, excuse me, guard their cell phone 
<laughs> almost with their life. I mean, that is their life. Right. And so they're not having to keep track. They, they don't lose the card. Yeah, you could lose the phone, but they tend to be um, more possessive and keep better track of their cell phones than almost anything else in their, in their world at, at that age. Mm-hmm. But some people don't have smartphones. Some people are reluctant to have apps installed on their phone. They think they're being tracked, you might mm-hmm. say. So there is some, some downside to that. Uh, biometrics are in use, but they're typically, other than a fingerprint reader, they're typically in higher dollar systems. Sure. And I say the fingerprint reader, I mean, there's a number of different companies out there producing quick fingerprint readers. Uh, one of the disadvantages to fingerprint readers, I experienced myself. I work with my hands. I got a lot of calluses. It doesn't always read my fingerprint. Ah. About 90% of the time, I have to open my computer with a pin rather than with my fingerprint. My phone's the same way. Yeah. So what about your, out there. What, what about your eye print? So <laughs> there's good and bad to that. A lot of people are reluctant to have their eyes scanned. Again, it gets into that privacy issue, you mm-hmm. might say, or people exactly. think, oh, they're, they're emitting something into my eyes that's going to burn my retina. Uh, and, but it is touchless. However, I always kind of chuckle when we talk about making stuff touchless because we still grab the doorknob to open the door. Yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. is it really that much less touchless in a sense? I get it. Uh, but there's, facial recognition they've even come up with ways to tell everybody has a unique way of walking Mm -hmm. and so based on how you walk we can identify who you are you can do vein scanning you can do palm geometry which is i think going away for the most part but schlager and Gasol rand had out a device you put your hand in there and it would check out your palm size so those are all different applications um Pretty much, I think Prox is the current method or choice, I-class proximity cards that are kind of the most prevalent, you might say. And then if you want higher security, made it to a keypad. And so it requires both the card and a pin. Sure. The disadvantage to a card is it can be loaned and gotten back. So if I give you my card for the day, you can go in and out but I'd be reluctant to give you my pin. Mm -hmm. So again, it kind of depends on what does your customer need? What level of security they're comfortable with? When I was doing alarm installs, I used to describe the, the alarms as a lot like clothing, everything from a bikini to a burqa is considered coverage clothing. What does your customer expect? How much coverage, how much security do they want? Is the pin number good enough or do you want pin and card? Do you want biometrics? It's all a function of money. And how much is your customer willing to spend with you? And it comes back around to that pre-qualifying. What are you expecting for a budget? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can tell you systems I work on, I budget five to $6,000 a door. We're using Identive, which has got the scramble pad. And we require both a card and a pin on, on a lot of our systems that I work on. And so 
-hmm. it's expensive compared to, you know, $500 a door for a, a single door access control system at the lower end. Right. But then again, it's all going to be based on what the needs are for that end user. What the needs and their budget. Correct. Some people have a need, but they don't have the budget. Mm -hmm. And some people have the budget and they don't have the need. <laughs> Interesting. So, uh -huh. matching, it, matching it up to the customer is appropriate. Mm -hmm. I don't like to oversell or undersell what the customer needs. And if I feel the customer does not have a budget that supports what they really want done, I'll walk away from the job. Mm -hmm. I would rather not put my name on a job and collect $1,000, $2,000 when they really need a $10,000 installation because that's representative of me. Yeah, good point. Mm -hmm. You know, it, the next customer who comes along, no matter how much you told them it wasn't going to be, a, it was going to be a problem. If it fails in six months, they're going to remember you sold it to them. Right. If, if it's 10 years down the road and it fails, they also remember you sold it to them, but they say, that guy did a good job. Mm -hmm. And when you start cutting to the lower end, you start taking shortcuts on jobs too. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't like to take shortcuts. I like to give a product that I'm very proud of and I can look somebody in the eye in a year and say, I'm, that's me. That's the work I did. Uh, finally, Greg, a few questions that I think business owners will appreciate, whether they're involved with access control or they're looking to get into that line of work. How can we find customers for this type of work and how can we best propose or quote the work so that we do get the job? So the first thing I like to say is install the products that you like on your own shop. It may be a little bit of a mishmash of what you've got, but if you don't believe in the product, why would your customer? So next, look at your existing customer's locations when you're servicing them. If you're rekeying their door, and this is the third time this year that you're rekeying that door, maybe that's a good candidate for an access control system. And they may not even think of it. So by quoting a job to them, or at least planting the seed, you're already there. You can already do the site survey. You know what's going to be best for that customer. You, you understand their their needs probably better than anybody, you can give them a ballpark number of what it might be worth. And maybe you don't get the job that week or that particular rekey, but maybe in three more months when they need another rekey, they'll call you up and say, you know, you told me about this three months ago and said I should do it. This, what am I really looking at? So keep those, those quotes in, in mind in terms of what you are. Uh, offer a better way to secure their business. You can offer access control, which I think is a bet. Yes, it's got key override, but you limit the number of keys. So now you can better control who has access to that business. I'm a big believer. You got to find out what motivates the customer. Is it strictly money? I tend to be honest, you know, to be honest, I try to avoid those customers. If it's just a money thing, mm -hmm. but you might understand that they might understand the lower cost of access control. As I mentioned, if you're having to rekey every two months, access control may be less money in the long run to them. And now all of a sudden that is a, a benefit to them that they look at as it's motivated by money. 
in some cases, it's convenience. It's far easier for them to sit at a computer screen or go to the door and push a few buttons than it is to have you out to rekey. I don't look at it as a loss of income. I look at it as a chance to make more money on each job that I go do. If I'm out there rekeying a few times a year, and that's, let's say it's $200 to do that rekey, but I can make one sale that's $2,000. And now I have time to go make another, you know, three or four or five $2,000 sales rather than three or four more $200 sales. I make more money that way. I don't look at it as a, as a loss. Uh, is it convenience? Show them how easy it is to add and delete the users. Is it security? You know, active shooter has been a big thing lately. So maybe the ability to lock down your building at the touch of a button is might be a big motivator to them. They hadn't thought about that. School security is a lot of people are seeing. We're starting to change to where the from the front office, they can lock everybody's door from the outside from being able to get in. Another option you have is send out a newsletter to your customers. Join the Chamber of Commerce or the Rotary or some other organization and talk to them. I know it's a little frightening at first, but that's I've gotten more jobs just explaining security levels and security pieces at organizations like that than I care to think about. Mm -hmm. When you become the expert, they want you. Again, I'm selling myself. I'm not selling even the company in some cases. I'm selling me. Uh, I mentioned earlier, I like to pre-quote or qualify the customer. In other words, discuss what they're looking for over the phone. If it's a cold call into me, mm -hmm. I want to know what their expectations are. Uh, in some cases, I've charged for, for quotes. If it's a little bit of a distance away, I have no problem telling the customer, I'm happy to quote the job, but I'm going to charge you for it. Sure. I, I, I see nothing wrong with that. If I've got to go spend three hours of drive time and, and an hour or two with the, at their location, uh, they need to pay me for that. So, exactly. you know, and if, if you tell them, hey, it's going to cost you a couple hundred bucks for me to come look at it, I might undercharge what I would for a normal call, but I'm going to at least make some money on it. Mm -hmm. uh, if you tell them it's $2,000 and they think, oh, wait, I was thinking 200 why even show up? So pre-qualify your customers. Uh, cold calls are one of the hardest things to do. It, it's hard to get somebody to change, but you know what? It doesn't hurt. Ask your customers for referrals. There's nothing wrong with asking your customers to spread your name around. If they like you, if they don't like you, then ask them not to. But uh, a lot depends on your market. Retail sales locations have a totally different need than a factory might. So if you're in a bedroom community that only has malls and uh, grocery stores and the like, then your market's going to be different than if you're in an industrial environment where they're manufacturing and the needs of that consumer, and I use consumer as a business as a consumer too, is different. Perhaps they need to secure high dollar or hazardous areas. Uh, you might have a chemist, chemical building where they need to know who's going in and more importantly, who's coming out. So you need a card reader on each side. You can't lock the door from them getting out, but you want to know if something happens, 
who's left in the building. All those things come into play when you're looking at locations. And I think our best source of new business is our old customers. Sure. Because they are the people who already know us. We already have a relationship with them. And if you're not selling it to them, somebody else may come along and take that customer from you. You know, people get possessive of customers. I've had, that's my customer. No, it's not. I've got to earn that business every single day I walk into their, into their place. I have to retain that customer. It's mine to lose, but if you're not out there actively pursuing more business from that customer, somebody else is going to come in and suggest it. And they're going to say, oh, my guy wasn't, hasn't been pushing for that, my current guy. This new guy is obviously more progressive. And so I'll take him. And you just lost a customer. Uh-huh. To me, it all comes back to motivation. What's the customer's motivation? What is the benefit that I can provide to them? In some cases, it's simply just to satisfy security or safety or convenience or control a personnel or something else. But my goal is to satisfy a customer's need by providing the best product at a reasonable price. And reasonable is always a question mark. What's reasonable to me might not be reasonable to somebody else. Mm -hmm. But if I've sold them that I am the best provider of their security needs, then I don't have to worry about dollars as long as I don't charge $10,000 for something they can buy for $500 someplace else. Right. You know, you can't be greedy, but fair is a reasonable price to both of us and give that customer the best possible service and you'll keep them for life. Exactly. And that's what you want. Well, Greg Perry, you have covered the ins and outs of standalone access control very well. Uh, I hope you had a good time with this, Greg. It was it was really great information. I and did. I wanna, yes, and for I want to thank you for being part of our locksmith talk with Aloha, and hopefully we'll talk with you again soon. Absolutely. Thank you again to Security Pro Supply for sponsoring Locksmith Talk with Aloha. Security Pro Supply is the new parent brand for HL Flake, International Key Supply, HE Mitchell, and McDonald Dash companies. These existing company names will continue to live on, but by bringing them together under the SPS parent brand, they can communicate a unified mission, which is to help you, the security professional, be successful. Be sure to visit them at securityprosupply.com. There you will find links to the existing company's e-commerce sites. You can also take a moment to explore their growing library of educational resources, including the listing of all webinars being offered through Aloha. Once again, that is securityprosupply.com. Thanks so much for listening to Locksmith Talk with Aloha. As your podcast host, William Link, until next time, stay well.